0: All right, good morning, 11 o'clock, are we we good? It's good, it's good to see you. I wasn't up here during singing, I was downstairs hanging out with some people, so I just ran in. So we have our starting point group going on, it's like this group for people who are really just sort of investigating the whole Christian story and the Bible story and the Jesus story, it's very interesting. Well, they say to me between services, hey, do you mind, because this came up last week, do you mind coming down just maybe during the singing and before you preach, like, just to give an overview of how the Bible was formed and if it's trustworthy. <laughs> and so I was like, sure, why not? So that's what I've been doing for the last 11 minutes. And uh, was, that's really unfair and crazy but for them. But uh, so you, you don't, you're not impressed by that. Okay. Um, all right. So we're in this series of teachings. Uh, we're in week six now. It's called Blessed. And it's based on these eight statements that Jesus made back to back to back to back about uh, who's blessed, who God calls blessed, and uh, who are the kind of people that God blesses the world through. And so we've been looking at these. If you're a Bible person, if you grew up in church, they're called the Beatitudes. Um, And so we've been running through these in order, one through eight. And so we're in week six right now. I was thinking about this last service I shared with them. Maybe you'll find this uh, more interesting than they did. But... um, i'll I'll hit my seventh year here and the first Sunday in April, and I remember I was looking back at my um history here, but the very first sermon series we did were, were, was through these eight beatitudes, so it's kind of cool, kind of nostalgic. I should have done this in April actually, but um yeah, you didn't find that interesting either so <laughs> you you nothing at all all right um so that's what we're doing, and today's uh, they're just little statements. They're just little things that Jesus said, like blesses this kind of person, and then he names the blessing. And the thing about them, all eight of them, is that they're kind of upside down. They're kind of, they're very upside down. They're very counterintuitive. They don't sound right. They're just sort of backwards. And, and we would never like look at the things that Jesus mentions in these and think, wow, that is, that is what it's like to be blessed. Like we would not read blessed of the poor in spirit and think, yeah, that's a blessing to be just impoverished of life. Of spirit, like of any energy. That doesn't seem blessed, and yet Jesus says these kinds of things all throughout. And, um, but today's, today's kind of turns a corner a little bit. And it's a, it's a very intriguing, it's somewhat mysterious, although we're going to try to unpack that today. And it's, it's also very uncomfortable. This one reads us more than we read it. And it, it, it causes us, if, if you participate today, if you really sort of watch it, And participate in your mind like it's a very difficult uh, it's a very difficult blessing that Jesus mentions and this is what it is in Matthew 5 chapter 8 he says blessed are the pure in heart for they shall what see God so let's just read this whole thing together here we go blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God now the back part of this is more important to me than the first part this whole see God thing that's kind of why we're all here we want to see God. Like, in some way, like everybody wants to see God. I'm following this uh, physicist. I have been for the last year or so. His name is Lawrence Krauss. And he's the head of the physics department, theoretical physics department, Arizona State University. And he hates the idea of God, which is why I like him. And so I'm following him. I've read his books. I watch his lectures. I've, I've listened to interviews with him. I read his articles. And he really does hate the idea of God. In fact, so much that anyone who calls himself religious, scientist or not, he just thinks, we're lower. We haven't evolved. And he's on this pursuit right now. And he wrote a book called Something from Nothing. came out a few years ago. He's trying to prove. I don't know how you try to <laughs> do this. And, uh, and a lot of physicists, I'm not just laughing because I don't know what I'm talking about, but a lot of physicists are like, this guy's on the fringe. But He's trying to prove that something really can come out of nothing, therefore eliminating the need for God. And so I'm curious; like, I really want to see. I want to see this thing happen. Like, I'm I'm sort of following this out of curiosity, but also um, because I'm just so interested in what he and his team discover uh, over the course of the next year. But I think at the bottom of that, like, although he's sort of this is sort of what science does. Science is about disproving things to find new truths. So he's doing that, but at the underneath that there is this kind of pursuit, like, am I gonna run into God? Like, am I gonna find something that says God was here? And so I think we all like at some level that's what we want. We want to see God. That's why we're here, that's why we're in Bible studies, that's why we have people around us, where we talk about the Jesus story, that's why we worship, that's why we are in a church setting, perhaps. We all wanna see God in some in some way. And so Jesus says, Well, here's the ticket. Be pure in heart. And you can see God. Okay, so if you grew up in a religious setting, if you grew up in a church, I don't know if you grew up in a church like the one I'm going to describe, but maybe you grew up in a church, maybe you're seeing this verse and you're already kind of flinching because this is about don't have sex. Don't think about having sex. Don't get angry. Don't even think about getting angry. Don't lust. Don't look at porn. Don't steal. Don't drink. Don't cuss. Don't go with girls who do. All these sorts of things that you've maybe heard, right? Don't do anything, be pure. And what does pure mean? It means perfect. It means unblemished, like nothing has scratched it. It's not damaged. If you're pure, you're untouched. And so maybe you grew up in a church where like the pure in heart text was about certain behaviors for you. And it kind of causes you to like, ugh. And if that's true, if it's true that the pure in heart shall see God and the pure in heart is about certain things that you do or don't do, then none of us will see God. I mean, the whole teaching dismantles by its own language. Are you with me on that? And so there must be something else that Jesus is talking about. I mean, if you want to see God, you got to be pure in heart, but that's not possible because none of us, if we're honest, would say that our hearts are pure that nothing is untouched that nothing is scratched nothing's dented about us and if it's true that only the pure in that sense will see God then none of us will ever see God and so what is he talking about well it gets even more complicated it just gets easier as the sermon goes on so hang with me we're just going to start out here in the craziness and then hopefully hopefully there'll be some clarity and maybe a joke at the end all right (laughs) so what does he mean well, it gets more complicated because, again, the, the pursuit is that we see God, but then one of Jesus' friends and close disciples wrote these words in the beginning of his first uh, chapter of his gospel that, for no one has seen God. Are you with me on that? Like, this is, okay, this is complicated. The pure in heart will see God, but then John says, oh, nobody's, done, nobody's ever had that happen. No one has seen God. Now, what's happening in this chapter, or this little verse here, is that the whole chapter is about... Jesus. The whole chapter is about God becoming a person. And what John will later say is essentially that if you've seen God, or if you've seen Jesus, then you have seen God. God is in the flesh. God became a man. God became a person. God put skin on. God moved into the neighborhood. God came to earth. I mean, this is what John's getting at in this whole chapter. But he also says that no one has seen God. And so there's some sense in which no one has seen God until Jesus showed up. But even then, it's just a human version. Okay, so it's just really complicated. And so all throughout the scriptures, God reveals himself in certain ways, but only in part. And even though John will say, God came to earth in the person of Jesus, it's not fully there. You know what I'm saying? Like he's fully God, but it's still in a form that we can comprehend. It's still in a, a form that we understand. And so his statement about no one has seen God is true in a sense that we haven't seen God in his fullness. But we have seen him in Jesus. Right? But those are two, I don't want to say different things, but they're not necessarily the same thing. The fullness of God. The, un- the, the creator of the universe, sustainer of all life. I mean, that God, like we haven't seen that. And so John says you, you don't, you don't, no one's seen him. No one has ever seen him. So what does Jesus mean when he says... Well, the pure in heart they see God, because no one's pulled a chair up with God at a coffee shop and had coffee with God. I mean, some people have, but they're kind of fun to talk to. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but, uh, but no one has seen him like that. So, what does he mean? Well, perhaps this word "see" isn't just about sight. Maybe it has something else to it. Uh, John uh, later will say in chapter one he talks about Jesus collecting disciples. Um, <laughs> I don't mean that like a, a garbage truck collecting trash, but um, although, um, I, I thought that was brilliant. But, <laughs> but you're not with me. It's okay. Your kids will understand it. All right. Um, so first part of the story you can see on the screen. The next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida the city of Andrew and Peter and Philip found Nathanael and said to him and this is very important we have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote Jesus of Nazareth son of Joseph a couple of things about this the description of the Messiah the savior that Philip gives Nathanael is less than ordinary he says we found the one about whom Moses and the prophets wrote like the coming savior And then he lays it out. Here's the title. It's it's, uh, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. Now, for those of you who aren't familiar with the ancient Middle Eastern world, there's nothing in that sentence or in that description that's extraordinary. I don't know, one out of five people was named Jesus? I mean, it's a very common name. Nazareth isn't even mentioned in the Old Testament. It's that insignificant. it's It's a nowhere town, right? The son of Joseph. Who's Joseph? Exactly. He's a builder. He's a construction worker. He goes where the work is. And so the fact that the description Philip gives to Nathaniel, I mean, it's so less than ordinary. It's like we have found the Savior, and it's Jim Bob (laughs) from Locust Grove. (laughs) Billy's son. Now you laugh, but that's actually the appropriate response. Next slide. Nathanael said to him, <clears throat> can anything good come from Nazareth? Now this question is layered. And part of it is theological. Part of it is, well, part of it has to do with Nazareth. Part of it has to do with like, does the Savior really come from there? Does it come from somewhere else? Bethlehem I think is the actual thing that we're looking for here and whatever. But, but there's also this kind of sarcasm and and cynicism in the question like really from there and then philip's answer to him is so interesting what does it say come and see no debate no book no article no website no link no argument just come and see now what does philip mean when he says come and see now the word for see is the word harao say the word harao very good You, you pass this is a very interesting word Of course it could mean, Philip means, all right, come with me, we'll get behind a tree and I'll point Jesus out and then you can see him. It could mean that. And there's a part of this that means, yeah, I see with my eyes. But this word also is connected to experience. To see. We say it like this. Okay. Let me see if I understand you. Have you said that before? Let me see if I understand what you're saying. Or, Something is explained to us and we get it and we say, Ah, I see. But you don't really see, you just understand. And so they use it the same way. It's layered. It's like, Yeah, I can point to what I'm seeing and I see that. But there's also this component of experience empathy. To see and understand is to be empathic, to recognize, to feel, to experience. And so part of this, and Jesus will say uh, the word see a lot in John and this invitation to come and see, come and see where I'm staying, come and see what you will experience, come and see what you will see. Like there's all these different things Jesus would say to his disciples. Do you see? He who has eyes, let him what? See. What is that really about? That is about understand. Understand. Experience. Feel it. Own it. So part of this, and I think this is what the part uh, about the pure in heart seeing God, it's that there's a more... There's a fuller experience for those who are pure in heart to see God. It's a fuller experience of God. So when Jesus says, Blessed are the pure in heart, we'll have to talk about pure in heart because that seems to be the doorway into this, but they will see God. They will experience God more fully. Are you with me on that? So the the gateway or the doorway into that, to like experiencing God at the deepest level, at a very personal level, at an understandable level, has to do with this purity of heart. Well, what does that mean? Well, Jesus, again, as He does in a lot of these, He's not quoting Himself. He's quoting the Old Testament. He's quoting the Psalms, or He's quoting some other part of the Old Testament. And I want to show you this in two parts. He's quoting Psalm 24. The first part of Psalm 24 says this, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, and the world, uh, the world and those who dwell therein. Don't you like the word therein? I'm going to use that today. Um, For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the river. I mean, just to paraphrase here, this is a Derek paraphrase Swetman version. Uh, this first part of the psalm is just establishing who owns the earth. Okay? Who owns the universe? Who has control over all that is? That's all this is saying. And then it asks a series of questions. A couple of questions here. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Now, this is poetry, so just you know, put on your Dead Poets Society hat and think, okay, what is it saying here? It's about getting near to God. Who shall stand in his what? Holy place. That's key. We're going to look at a scripture in a minute that deals with that. Who shall stand in this holy place? Now that is about total intimacy with God. And then it answers the question with a few things here. He who has clean hands and a pure heart. There it is. So Jesus is, there it is. He, He grabbed that. And he put it into his own teaching. He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false, and does not swear deceitfully. Now, when Jesus says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God, he's paraphrasing a pretty lengthy text. And if those in the audience that day were Jewish, they got it. They were with him. They were like, Ah, see what he did there. He put the two together. But it's a very interesting text all around, because it's, okay, God owns the earth, so how do you even approach a God like that? How do you get close with a God like that? Is it possible? Who can ascend his hill? Who can stand in his holy place? And then it says, okay, well, here it is, clean hands, pure heart. What does that mean? Clean hands in the Old Testament has to do with essentially how you treat your neighbor. Okay, it's just, you're not, there's nothing about you that, um, you're not violent, you're not... You're not hurting people. You're not, you know, doing people wrong, etc. And this is a pure heart. We'll talk about that in a second. And this says, who does not lift up his soul to what is false. I mean, this is about this great pursuit of truth, okay? That's why I like Lawrence Krauss. Hold on to that. And does not swear deceitfully. So that's pretty simple there. I mean, you're not a liar, either to yourself or to others or to God. But this pure in heart, like what's the heart? Now, Jesus isn't talking about the organ behind the ribcage, Okay? He's not talking about that. The heart in the ancient world was seen as kind of the seat of someone's passions, desires, intentions, will, and so on. And so there's this real sense that that the purity of those things is really about integrity and sincerity and being fully disclosed. So someone who is pure in heart, we've taken a long time to get here, I know, but I've got a definition for you on the screen. But the pure in heart is often interpreted as sincerity, or being real, which that's a, that's a good phrase there too. And throughout the Scripture, this phrase is fairly three-dimensional. It's about being real with ourselves, also with others, and with God. It's integrity and sincerity at every level. Now, all of us are pretty good at one or two or three of those things, but not always together. Sometimes we are very honest with God, but not with ourselves or with others. And sometimes we're very, very honest with others, but not with ourselves. Now, you know those people, right? They have all the answers for you, but not for themselves. That's when you, we have a phrase for that. Uh, it's the pot calling the kettle black. Okay? So, not what you're saying isn't true, but do you hear what you're saying? That sort of thing. And sometimes we're very honest with ourselves, like we, we're totally aware of who we are, but no one else hears that, including God. So it's not that we don't understand each of these three, and it's not that we're not good at these three, but to be good at all three all at the same time, that requires a purity of will, intention, uh, um, you know, desire, and passion. Like It's a very difficult thing to, to be, to be this three-dimensionally pure and heart person. Amen. Thank you. Uh, John Stott says it this way, how few of us live one life and live it in the open? If that doesn't make sense, Peter Rollins asked this question. Um, how many of us sit in Starbucks and talk about the evils of corporations? <laughs> Are you with me on that? That's a profound question. And what? And the answer to that question is, okay, I get it. We all live ironic lives. All of us. We all disavow the thing that we're participating in. All of us. We're all impure in that regard. You know, we're environmentalists with cars. Right? I mean, we all participate in the thing that we know is wrong or that we know needs to change. We sit in Starbucks and we talk about the evils of corporations. We're we're ironic. All of us. And what Jesus is getting at here is to fully experience God, you have to be so pure of heart with Him, which means you have to be very honest about who you are with yourself. Because faith grows best at the intersection of our honesty about who we are and God's grace. That's where it grows. It always grows best when we are fully ourselves with God. Maybe you're familiar with the Moses story, but Moses sees the burning bush. He goes over to check it out because it's not burning up. Plus, he's been working in the fields with sheep for a while. He's just kind of bored. But he gets close to the bush, and it talks to him. God speaks to him, and it's on the screen. You can see what it says. God says, do not come near. Take your sandals off of the place on which you stand is what? Now, I want you to look at that, and maybe you've heard me say this before, but if not, I just want you to to look at that very closely because it actually seems quite counterintuitive what God has asked Moses to do God has asked Moses to stand on holy ground with his dirty bare feet just let that sink in for a moment it's almost as if the story of God working through Moses begins with God asking Moses to be fully disclosed because why is Moses working in the fields well because he murdered a guy and he's on the run He's been living with the guilt and the shame and the replaying the story and just thinking he's a terrible person. And then, of course, God shows up and says, actually, I want to use you for one of the greatest things ever, which is how God works. And then the very first step into that is God asks Moses to basically be fully, dis- just stand, think about it, stand on holy ground with your dirty bare feet. Let's just start the relationship off right. Who you are completely standing on who I am. Are you with me on that? I mean, this, again, let me just repeat this. The story of God working through Moses begins with Moses' act of full disclosure to God. It's an incredible thing. Faith doesn't do very well when we only tell God what we think He wants to hear. Because we have that list. like We, we kind of know what we think God wants to hear from us. But it's, it's counterintuitive to hear somebody like me say today, actually, that's not what He wants to hear. What He wants to hear is the thing you don't think He wants to hear. Because the thing that you think He wants to hear isn't true of you and me. But the thing that you don't think He wants to hear is exactly what He wants to hear. He wants to hear you say what is exactly on your mind. He wants you to go at Him in full disclosure. And somehow, in that pursuit, this pureness of that kind of pursuit, an experience of God is greater than those who lie to themselves and lie to God, but who are very religious, who know all the words and attend all the right churches and know all the right answers except for the ones about themselves, and they're the ones they never tell God. God says, I need you to take your shoes off and stand in my space, and let's start there. Let's begin there. Faith doesn't do very well when we just tell God what we think He wants to hear, but it does really well when we just come at God with who we are. If you ever go to counseling, A, you'll save a lot of money, but B... You'll experience renewal and healing better and faster if you're just honest, right? And just in parentheses, the counselor knows you're lying anyway, but just go, I mean, just go in there and say, all right, I know how this works. You're going to listen to me. And I'm going to tell stories about my life and about my situation. I'm also going to tell stories about why I think I'm here. But I know you guys are magic. And you're going to find out that what I thought I was coming in here for isn't what I'm in here for, but it's about this thing that I know about. But I don't really know what that is. But I'm just going to tell you up front that I know that it's out there. So I'm hoping that you find that. But I think it's about this, right? And then, I know you want to hear about my childhood, so here we go. And you open your journal, and you do this whole thing all the way up till you're 25, 30, or whatever, however old you are. And then you just, like, it's full disclosure. Like, and then you can look back, through, hold on, don't talk to me. I know you're 120 an hour, but hold on. Let me just make sure I didn't miss anything. And so you start going through the list, and you're like, nope, it's all there. I hate these people, I hate my, you know, I hate my job, I have, I have trouble in my faith, I've, I've committed these sins, and you name them, that makes them feel comfortable, and then uh, and you name the people with whom you committed them with, and then it's, it's all weird, and they're trying to write things down, you can even sort of pause and even send you an email. Maybe you could do that before, maybe you send them an email before you go, but you're like, I'm not going to leave anything out. What happens when you do that? Healing and renewal begins to happen faster for you. But if you sit there for session after session after session and just tell them what you think they want to hear you'll leave as broken and broke as you've ever been (laughs) because they're not magic and just like God they don't force you to do stuff they don't force you to say they don't force you to admit anything but God just invites us to be pure in heart and when we are When we come to Him fully disclosed, like, the experience is better. 20 years of ministry, uh, those who have a greater depth in their relationship with God are really those who are most honest with Him. They really do. Now, they seem to the outside world very up and down and going through all sorts of stuff, but their faith is really solid. Because they've experienced God at a great level of honesty and full disclosure. I may or may have told this story before, but you know, seven years, sometimes you get a repeat, but here we go. Um, you know, my my son, I, I started this thing years ago, my own little hashtag called Raising Alden, and it was basically about my son just says things that are so funny, and he doesn't know he's saying them, and, um, and so I just started recording them. Like, I would write them down, and maybe I'll publish a book called Raising Alden one day, but it'd just be quotes, uh, and they're pretty funny, but before I get to this story, I, I want to show you this verse that Um, maybe you're familiar with, but Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 18. He said, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like what? Children, you will never, so, so definitive, isn't it? Never enter the kingdom of heaven or the way of Jesus. You never will. What does he mean by that? Yes, children, they're full of wonder. They're cute. They're clean. They're cuddly. But what does he mean by that? There's also a sense of honesty of pursuit in children. There's also this real sense of like they're just going to tell you exactly what they think. Are you with me on that? Okay. So my son and I are in the car, and he says, "Dad, do you think are you good enough to be in a band?" I was like, "Yeah, I play guitar in bands." And he says, uh, "Like Led Zeppelin." That's reason A: I love my son, but. I said, no, no, I'm not that good. And he said, oh, did you think I was talking about the church band? (laughs) Pull over, text my wife, funniest thing I've ever heard. Now, what you need to know is like, Alden's dream is to be in the church band. Like, that's his dream. You know, like, once a week he's like, what do you think? I'm like, keep practicing, you know. But uh, you're not going to make it. But one day you'll make it, but not, not this week or next week or next year, but keep, keep playing, right? And it sounds so offensive when he says it. Oh, do you think I was talking about that terrible band that plays for us on Sundays? Like, is that He loves Jeff. He, it's, again, it's his dream to be in this band, but like in his mind, that's his only deduction. I mean like satanic rock and roll that we love in our home and <laughs> church music, right? There was no in between. He's unfamiliar with Bieber. That's Kind of a thing we've been protecting against. But he's unfamiliar with this other world, but he just went, oh, so if it's not that good, it must be this good. So that was his deduction. It's so offensive and honest. And it's just downright, like, it's rude. Are you with me on that? We all were children once. Honest and offensive. And according to Jesus, residents of the kingdom. But then we grew up And we built walls and we've been hidden and guarded ever since. And Jesus said the pure in heart, the offensive, the honest, those who just say exactly what's going on, they experience God more fully than those of us who don't. Paul, writer of much of the New Testament, says it best. He says, For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Can anyone relate to that? You can't? This is terribly scary. All right, (laughs) Pure in heart, people. You can relate to this. There's a desire to do what's right, but you sometimes feel like you just can't do it. You always keep doing the wrong thing. Paul goes on to say, For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep doing. I mean, here's Paul. We put him on a pedestal. Wrote a lot of the New Testament. And right here in the middle of his letter to the Romans, he says, I'm a terrible person. But the difference in us sort of being shocked by that and him saying that is that he he knows that about himself. And he's willing to write that down and distribute it and say, yeah, I mean, if it came down to it, the stuff I really don't want to do anymore, I keep doing. Now, this isn't a license to keep doing what's... It's just, here's Paul admitting something that we should all admit. Our lives are not consistent. They are ironic. They are a mess. And here's a little riff in the middle of his letter to the Romans saying, I understand that about myself. Almost as if to say, you should understand that about yourself too. That we all struggle with who we are. But when we come to God with that kind of understanding of ourselves, we experience Him more fully every time. Faith doesn't grow very well if it's built on lies about ourselves, but it grows exponentially when we're sort of honest with ourselves and with God. Make sense? I want to close with... Uh, I brought this in today. I don't know if anybody knows what this is. Anybody know what this is? It's a hymnal. Um, this is the screen of yesteryear. <laughs> of yore. Uh, now, some churches still use these and write on. But, um, this, I mean, this is amazing. I mean, it's, it's got all these songs in it. Um, they're not in alphabetical order, by the way. They're just... They're actually by theme, which I find extraordinary, like Joyful Joyful is the first song, and page two is Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, best song in the hymnal, by the way, and uh, you don't think so? Okay. Uh, we, there's, there's hundreds in here. We, we can see which one you like. How Great Thou Art, anybody? All right. Uh, no one knows that one. No one knows that one. No one knows that one. Um, oh, Worship the King? Yes. yes. Horatio Spafford. Is that right? Yes. Yes. Um, um, <laughs> What else we got in here? We're in a bad section here. We're in a valley. A mighty fortress is our God. Martin Luther. Clearly a drinking song. Have you heard this? (laughs) Hey! (laughs) It's true. It's true. It says text Martin Luther, music, local pub. All right. All (laughs) right. How Majestic Is Your Name? I'm not really a fan of that. Uh, I mean, I'm a fan of that truth, but not not of the... So, anyway, there's all these great songs in here. And um, now I, I have this. The church I was working for years and years ago got rid of these. Because everything was on the screen and... Nobody was taking these anymore, and we did make them optional. They were available at the door, but eventually people were like, why are, we, why are we fighting this? I mean, it's right there. It's in three places in front of me, and so people just stopped taking them. And then I was playing in the band quite a bit back then, and I noticed one Sunday that there were about three of these holding up a stage monitor, and I thought, that's just kind of sad, you know? And so they did this whole thing where they gave them away, and they're all like given in somebody's name and, and memory of somebody, and I, and I got one, and um, but now truthfully seriously i actually use this hymnal as a devotional reading because some of the lyric in here is just so profound and if you're looking for a good devotional buy a hymnal i mean you can just read them and it's very devotional it's very devotional but i wanted to close today with reading uh, a song that you may or may not be very familiar with uh, if you grew up in the church you're definitely familiar with it but uh, it's called just as i am and um, Don't look for any cheesy transition. We're not going to sing this today. I'm actually just reading it as a prayer. I want to read this as a prayer to get us into communion. And what is communion but the reminder that we need God's grace? I mean, to stand in line and take communion is to admit we need God. It's an admission. And so I think this is a very appropriate song set in prayer form to get us into communion. And once I'm finished reading it, I'll just say, amen we'll probably say it together we'll just do what everybody said you can say amen um, and then you can make your way to one of the four tables around the room and that's how we'll end our service day we'll sing following communion but this will pretty much be how we end Uh, but i want you to listen to the words there's a phrase in here if you're not uh, familiar with the scriptures uh, very much there's a phrase in here that can be sort of a tripwire it's the phrase lamb of god but it's a phrase that's used for jesus uh, in the new testament so that's what it's referring to uh, when it says Lamb of God. Other than that, you should be able to follow this right along, but just listen to the words as I speak these, and we'll make this our prayer before communion. The writer says, just as I am without one plea, but that your blood was shed for me, and that you bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come. Just as I am in waiting not to rid my soul of one dark blot." To Thee whose blood can cleanse each spot, O Lamb of God, I come. Just as I am, though tossed about with many a conflict, many a doubt, fightings and fears within and without, Lamb of God, I come. Just as I am, poor, wretched, blind, sight, riches, healing of the mind, yea, all I need in Thee to find, Lamb of God, I come. And just as I am, you will receive. You will welcome, pardon, cleanse, and relieve. Because your promise, I believe. Lamb of God, I come. And everyone said, Amen. Amen.